Welcome to Everyday Greatness, a nice little show proudly brought to you by major sponsor ARA Group, one of Australia's greatest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness is a show hosted by a real human being, talking to some real people about real human issues that will help make you feel proud again of simply being a good solid Joe Bag of Donuts. Here's your host, Barnaby Howarth. Welcome to Everyday Greatness and thanks for listening. This is a show designed to celebrate the greatness inside everyday people. So grab a drink, kick your feet up and settle in. Before I start today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of Australia. I think acknowledging Indigenous Australians is more important than just reading from a generic, impersonal script. So I'd like to honour our traditional owners from the heart. I love being an Australian. So I'd like to honour those who came before us, those who share their land with us today, and those who follow us. Some of the things that have happened in this country in the past embarrass me as a white Australian. So I'd like to acknowledge that I feel horrible for any pain that's been caused. But I'd also like to acknowledge how beautiful Australian Aboriginal culture, your past, your place in today's society, and your future are. Thank you for sharing your country with us. Before I start our first interview, I'd like to acknowledge as well our episode sponsor, FASA Digital. FASA Digital are a bespoke digital marketing company with over 15 years of experience in marketing, public relations, events, academia, and digital marketing. So thank you, Fabrizio and the team at FASA Digital for sponsoring this episode. If you're raising a puppy dog and it keeps weighing on the floor, you could yell and scream, rub its nose in the puddle and kick it outside and it will obey you for the next 30 seconds or so, but then then it will forget the whole incident and do the same thing again not long after. Or you could gently explain why going to the toilet inside was wrong, spend some time with your puppy dog outside and explain where it should be doing its business and rewarding them when they do the right thing. Once they learn what they've done, once they learn learn what they've done wrong, they will stop it and not do it again. Dogs might not understand what authentic leadership is, but they'll sure as hell respect it when they see it. Whether you're trying to raise a puppy dog, a child, a business group or a sporting team, there's more than one way to get results. And your group or your puppy dog will see right through you if you don't practice what you preach. My guests today, General Manager of Snacks at Nestle Australia, Susan Catania, and Head of Companion Animal Business at Bowring Ingelheim, Michael Cousins, both set perfect examples of what authentic leadership is. They tell their teams to try and be a good person and they both lead by example. Mahatma Gandhi once said, happiness is when what you think, what you say and what you do are all in harmony. And that perfectly sums up my first guest, General Manager of Snacks at Nestle Australia, Susan Catania. Susan is one of the happiest people in Australia because what she thinks, says and does are all in harmony. Authenticity in the the real world can be very deep and philosophical, but when you boil it all down to its simplicity, it basically says to try and be a good person and respect the people around you. 
I'm almost certain there's a nice way to link the following riddle with Susan's happiness and confidence, but I can't think of how to do it. So I'll just explain both and hope she's catching what I'm pitching and doesn't get offended. The riddle says, what gets bigger the more you take out of it? And the answer is a hole. And this is where drawing a parallel keeps falling down. I can't think of a nice way to say Susan is like the hole in that riddle. But the point is Susan is a happy, confident person. But the more she gives her happiness and confidence back to the world, the more her own stocks seem to grow. I really hope there was a nugget of genuine praise in that introduction. But if not, I should leave it there and introduce one of the most authentic people on earth, Susan Catania. Susan, thank you for joining me on Everyday Greatness. Thanks for having me, Barnes. Appreciate it. Tell us first what a day in the life of Susan Catania looks like. Well, uh, at the moment, it's uh, like most people, probably two jobs. Uh, first of all, uh, mum to Eddie, uh, who's my six-year-old son and in kindergarten. Um, so the joy of homeschooling at the moment uh, is in my life. Uh, and secondly, as you've mentioned, uh, the general manager of snacks at Nestle, um, looking after brands uh, like Uncle Toby's and Milo, which is a huge privilege. Um, obviously, Eddie pretty much bookends my day at the beginning and the end, but uh, in the middle, there is certainly um, both roles require lots of uh, communication, uh, lots of meetings, uh, and certainly organisation and, and decision making. You must have to get a lot of different messages across to a lot of different people. How do you get those messages across to different people in your life, your family, friends, and your work colleagues? You become very effective at compartmentalising your life. Um, I find that, you, you know, I, I have a really good knack of, of really shutting off different parts of my life to really be able to, to focus and prioritise on whoever it is that I'm either with at that time, talking to or connecting with. And I, and I think if you can prioritise that moment and be present in that moment, it will certainly make sure that you're listening and you're connecting. Um, and actually even my son says to me, you know, mummy, be present sometimes if, I, if I'll pick up my phone when I'm sitting on the lounge watching Louie with him. And and so I think it's a good lesson for him to hold me accountable too. Um, so really I think it's about focus and prioritisation, if I'm honest. Just being a normal human being, just being your real self, seems like it would be an odd thing to, to study. Can you just explain in layman's terms what authentic leadership is? You know, it's a, it's a really good question. And, and when I went through my MBA at Macquarie, um, I read lots of um, research and into lots of information around different um, evidence on what it actually is. Um, and the way that I, I unpack it the best is separating authenticity and leadership and then putting it back together. And for me, authenticity is um, being consistently you. Um, but leadership is about being self-aware and it's about being selfless. So, you know, my definition would be being a, a consistently you in a self-aware and selfless way. Um, and as you said with Mahatma Gandhi, you know, consistency is in what you say and you do and it's that old adage of practising what you preach. Um, it's about leading with your heart, not just your mind. And, and I think so often even if you think about when we interview people, we, we focus so much on IQ, but how do you make sure you're focusing on EQ and IQ? Um, and then demonstrating and being really comfortable to demonstrate a level of vulnerability, humbleness, empathy in everything that you do um, because ultimately it's not like 
you know, you look in the mirror and you go, yes, I am an authentic leader. You know, it's it's the people in your teams, it's your people in your family um, or on the sporting field that say, you know, I see in you an authenticity and I feel from you an authentic uh, leader. And, and I think that's the most important thing. Very well summed up. If part of authentic leadership is to understand and acknowledge your strengths and weaknesses, isn't that counterintuitive to what most people are taught these days? In that showing vulnerability makes you look weak. You know, um, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting point you raise, and I think it, it really demonstrates how much leadership has evolved, um, especially over the last twenty years. Um, because we have to evolve leadership in response to people, um, their needs, but certainly their expectations, and, and things like COVID even have taught us that you know times are changing and people's expectations and the paradigms of leadership are changing. In the past, it was very much autocratic and it was so task-focused, um, whereas today it's so much more collaborative and it's so much more people-focused. And if you think about being people-focused, you have to have softer skills. You have to have the ability to engage with them, to empower them to be more connect- competitive. So things like um, agility and creativity aren't going to come from not being able to be inspired and, and empowered. Um, and, and ultimately... Vulnerability, I believe, is the key driver of that because it's the human aspect, it's the human approach where you connect with people. Um, don't get me wrong, though. Like, I, I, you know, I think if you asked anyone in my team, they would say that I'm authentic, but I'm still decisive and I'm still direct, but I do it with empathy and an understanding of my impact on other people. That leads me to my next question, which I'll ask on behalf of my father. Is it risky trying to exercise integrity in today's Australian business world? Are there too many ruthless operators who drag you down if you're trying to be a good person? Well, you know, some people might feel that, but in my opinion, if you don't have values and you don't have integrity, what do you have? Because there will always be opposing values, opposing styles, opposing agendas, um, but with over 50% of what a leader brings every day coming from themselves and confidence in themselves. If you don't have confidence in yourself and your team then wouldn't have confidence in you, how could you possibly have confidence in yourself if you don't have integrity? Um, You know, I think that leading with integrity absolutely at times can be a bit sticky because of the situation and potentially, you know, the opposition sort of headwinds coming your way. So it takes good judgment and definitely careful application. Um, But it's so important um, to to really make sure that you're you're bringing it to the table consistently. Very well said. Operating with integrity would have been really challenging at Nestle, I'd imagine, during coronavirus. There would have been so many sad stories to cater to. How difficult has the last period been for you guys? You know, it's a really good question Um, and and I think coronavirus is a time for people and organisations with integrity to shine because it's actually when you turn your focus to people and that's actually what you need to do most. Um, It reminded us of what was most important, you know, even personally or professionally, you know, it really gave you a level of gratitude. Um, It showed us the importance and the value of sort of taking responsibility for yourself but also others um, we, we had a, a, just a gentleman that I, I, who mentors me, actually, I'm so fortunate, um, in Nestle India. His name's Suresh. He's a chairman and managing director of our business there. And, you know, India was one of the first 
um, countries that was hit with the Delta variant. I mean, like April, May this year, and, and when I was talking to him, um, he was sharing that in the period of about four weeks, he had 12 of his team members that passed away, you know, from as young as 33 and as old as 48. Um, and he, he talked um, about at that time the importance of compassion overtaking competence and that we really need to reflect on what's important at every point in time, which is obviously, number one, you as a leader, being confident, um, acting with vulnerability but still being stoic, but focusing relentlessly on keeping people as safe and as healthy as possible. Um, and I loved he actually shared um, that the most important thing for him that he kept asking himself was, what would my mum do? And I think that's a really honest account, right, when something so significant happens. It's what would my mum do? Well, she'd call to ask if I'm okay. She would ask if she could help. She, you know, These are all the things that leaders just go right back to the basics and take away all the jargon, all the garbage, and just be a human. And that's what authentic leadership's about. That's a beautiful question to put in front of any difficult situation. What would my mum do? Yeah. It's okay, let's, let's talk practical. How do you keep being a good person focused on integrity without being a pushover? Um, well, as I said earlier, um, you can still be authentic but and have absolute integrity um, but still be decisive and direct. Um, it's just that you do it in a self-aware way. So instead of being really... Um, direct and not thinking about impacts or being really direct and not considering broader opinions or views, it's actually just thinking about that before you start. Um, and it's like almost that, you know, start with the end in mind. Yes, the end in mind is an outcome, but there's also the people and the, the you know, the change that has to happen in that time. So I think it's just just being, you know, considerate of, of that journey. Very true. Who do you personally try and model your own leadership style on? No, I wouldn't say I model my leadership style on, on anyone in particular because it probably wouldn't be authentic, but I take so much learning off lots of different people. And, like, you know, Suresh was one example that I just shared. You know, we catch up, um, you know, probably every month to six weeks whenever, you know, diaries um, allow. And, and, you know, I'm so fortunate because he's, you know, 60 and much further along the journey than me, but we're also very similar in lots of ways. Um, but we don't talk about numbers and results and KPIs and strategy. We talk about people and culture. We talk about um, managing businesses through crisis. We talk about learnings from from myself here to him there um, to help make us stronger, better leaders. And, and that, to me, is super inspiring and, and certainly helps form and also give me confidence in my approach. Um, and the second would be someone like... Um, Jacinda Ardern, um, because obviously not everyone knows or has a connection with Suresh in Nessa, India. But if you look at her in the face of mosque attacks, earthquakes, um, COVID, she's been, you know, really held up in high stead for her management of that. I think she brings a real naturalness. You know, she brings her whole self. You know, she makes no um, shame of bringing her husband and her her child um, as part of her her and who she is. She speaks always about us and we, not I and and you. Um, and she she really has this coolness under pressure, but still real decisiveness. Um, and happy, is happy to stick a neck out and say, no, this is not great for New Zealand. And, and I think that's. That's really powerful and really encouraging. 
You spring chicken, you. Suresh is 60 and he's so much further down the road than I am. I know. Gonna, he said that to me and I was like, you know what, I'm going to take that Suresh thanks. He's like, I like helping young people like you. And I was like, oh, thank you. I've been at Nestle for 18 years, but that's great if he thinks I'm still young. I'll take well, it. Well, if it floats your boat, take it. Yeah, exactly. How proud of yourself are you as a female leader in today's business world? You know, I always grapple. I get asked this question a little bit um, and um, I always grapple with it because I'm incredibly proud of myself um, as an individual, um, as someone that um, is so grateful to be in the role I am in and have the opportunities I have. And sometimes I pinch myself and I go, you know, this this young girl that was born down the south coast and has, you know, had a really tough upbringing but has worked her backside off to get where I am and I'm really grateful for that. Um, and, and honestly, it's such a privilege and, you know, I'm sure anyone that's in a leadership position would feel the same. But I don't see it as you know, any different for me being a female. Like um, I don't feel it, I don't see it, um, and I'm sure others do. Um, and I think especially being in a more traditional male role um, where, you know, general management, you know, business director sort of roles are typically more men. But all I do is focus on being who I am every day and being the best leader I can. I focus on all the meaningful relationships that make a difference to me and to their lives and I do the best I can. And then ultimately that's that's all we can do, right? We're all humans just trying to do the best we can every day. That's very cool to hear. I've, I've heard from a lot of female leaders and sports people who don't think being a female is any big deal. If they're the best candidate, they deserve the job. So it's really cool to hear that you feel the same way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've never felt... Um, I've never felt the the impact of being female in a male world or, you know, going head-to-head and having a negotiation with a strong, experienced male. Or I've, I've never felt exposed or vulnerable at all. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it comes from what you mentioned at the beginning. You have to have a confidence in yourself as an individual. And, and if you do, the, the rest will come. That's very cool to hear. So tell people, again, the people who don't understand what authentic leadership is, how is being vulnerable, empathetic, inclusive and understanding a benefit in the workplace today? Do you have any practical examples of people who wouldn't be where they are if it weren't, with, if it weren't for some gentle guiding support from authentic, from authentic leaders around them? Well, I'm a perfect example of probably someone that wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have that support. But um you know, all those things you list, vulnerability, empathy, um, being inclusive, um, having uh, uh, understanding, it's all ultimately what drives connection. And, and that's what we all want, right? Like whether it be at home, with our friends, at work, we all want connection because ultimately that's what gives us purpose in life. Um, and it's the glue that brings people together from being individuals to being teams. It's also then what helps deliver results and make people feel satisfied. And, you know, the word for me that comes to mind is fulfilment. I think that um, when you have all those things and you feel that you, you can achieve fulfilment, um, at work, um, I, probably, I probably, I don't I'd hate to even guess, but I coach and mentor a lot of people. I never say no um, to coaching or mentoring. It's actually one of my passions. And my PA is often, you know, well, we've got another person. I'm like, yep, find the time. <laughs> um, and, and I too have my own mentors. As I said, I have Suresh, um, but I reach out to them for guidance and reassurance. Um, one of the gentlemen I've worked with in my journey, um, who I've known for a quite a long time, probably 12 or 13 years, is an up-and-coming leader, 
um, and he was on a formal sort of leadership mentoring program at Nestle and I'd partnered with him and he'd come, he'd been given a task, which is a template to, to go away and write his leadership philosophy. And so he, he followed the template and he brought it to me. He's like, Suze, you know, this is my leadership philosophy. And I, I know this guy quite well. And I said, mate, that's just, that's bullshit. Like, that's not you. That's not you. That's what, that's you thinking with you, with your head. But is that you? And this gentleman, you know, Italian background, mad passion about his family, that sport. He loves soccer. And I just said to him, go away, put the template away and just go away and, and just go sit in the middle of a footy field. We're going to sit at the middle of your, your dinner table at a family dinner on a Sunday Arvo and think about what it means for you to be part of that family but to lead that family or to lead that soccer team and come back. Um, and what he came back with was from the heart. It was authentic. It was it was him on a page. And that to me was, you know, a really important thing. And I think you can follow processes, you can follow tools and guidelines, but actually it's getting inside your own heart, being super self-aware in that moment and bringing that and just seeing him and how, how he connected to that and the passion um, was really powerful. Again, very cool. Let's step outside business for a second. You mentioned your six-year-old son earlier. What sort of person do you hope your son will grow up to be? Well, I'm looking forward to him not being a six-year-old rat bag. Um, <laughs> but um, in all honesty, the first thing I think is a confidence in himself. I think um, so often you see people that lack confidence and most importantly lack confidence in themselves. And I think that can be just soul-destroying. So confidence in himself, considerate of others. Um, and, and initially I wrote kind and I thought kind, but actually consider it's really important because sometimes it's not about being kind, it's about being decisive or it's about making, you know, the tough decisions. Um, but being considerate of others is really important. Um, and he's going to have to have um, a level of resilience and forgiveness because, the world is changing rapidly. It's moving quickly. There's so much that's happening around us in the environment, in things like COVID, um, and how he has, uh, you know, an ability to, to work through that with resilience but also a level of forgiveness so you don't carry regret or anger or frustration with you I think will be really important. Susan Catania, I really appreciate you spending the time on Everyday Greatness and I appreciate hearing your pearls of wisdom Thanks, Barnes. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Leading teams to success is an ironic business. Sometimes the best way to get success is to understand a disappointment leading up to it, losing a preliminary final, failing your driving test, or missing out on, on a promotion are some of the best ways to make sure you succeed next time. The head of companion animal business at Boring Ingelheim, Michael Cousins, understands that sometimes bad things are the perfect motivation to get good things next time. Michael coached two premierships in three years as coach of the Pennant Hills Demons Australian Rules Football Club. The first premiership was a tight win. The following year, the team went into the finals as minor premiers and were almost certain to win the premiership again. But the pressure got to the boys and they were bundled out of the finals before winning a game. But Michael used that disappointment to galvanise the club and bring everybody together. And they went back the next year and won the second premiership by over 100 points. Losing is not a guaranteed way to bring success next time. 
It takes a strong leader to help people understand that rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, but there comes a time when you just have to get over it and go and play in the puddles. If you type in the phrase authentic leader on Google, you'd see a picture of Michael Cousins with his thumbs up like the Fonz. Michael leads by example. He just tries to be a good, solid human being. And whether he's coaching a sporting team, he's operating as a business leader, or he's just a father or a friend, people follow. And I'm privileged to say that Michael Cousins joins me now on Everyday Greatness. Michael, thank you and welcome. Thanks, Barnaby. Great to be here. You coached a community AFL team to two premierships in three years, and you're in, ch- you're in charge of an entire business department, companion animal business at Bowring Ingelheim. What are the differences between leading a sports team to leading a business group? Um, the, the truth is, Barnes, I don't know if there is uh, a difference. I mean, I'm, I think leading teams is, is leading teams, whether they be, you know, professional teams, sporting teams, community, social, um, musical, whatever. Um, I mean, I think in the, in the football club context, you could, you could be excused for, for assuming that, that it is a little bit different and, and people are there within the context of, look, they're not getting paid. Um, they just want to be there because they love the game, they love the people, they love the environment, you know, wh- whatever it is for them. On, on the flip side, you could be excused for thinking, you know, people are only there because they they need to earn an income and and, and that's that's their only reason for being there. But but in, in thinking about both bodies, pe- people are there for whatever reason they're there. Um, and ultimately, sort of, I suppose, in a leadership capacity, you just have to understand what that reason is for each individual. Um, and ultimately, if you can do your best to accommodate those reasons or those motivating factors um, and support the individuals around that, then there's a good chance that that, that will culminate in the in the greater collective sort of realising what they're wanting to realise as well. So, see, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if there are um, differences, actually. In saying that then, that there's not any difference between business and sport, which leaders have you tried to emulate in business and then separately in sport? Yeah, look, I, I don't know if I ever sort of try to emulate anyone um, as opposed to, look, you, there's there's many points of reference. You can observe all sorts of traits, methods, attributes, um, things from good leaders, things from bad leaders. Um, you can bring it to the table. And I suppose throughout the course of my professional and, and sporting life, you know, there's been incredible exposure to multiple, you know, managing directors, CEOs, department heads, or coaches um, to, to sort of basically learn things by. Um, there's no shortage of, of other literature or or principles of leadership that you might want to um, might want to pursue. Interestingly enough, I've only recently attended the 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 Infinite Game by Simon Sinek, who who talks about traits of of leadership as well. Um, but look, I, I suppose what I've come to believe is that it's it's very situational. Different situations might require different things from you um, within a leadership context, and and I suppose ultimately that's what I try and and, and emulate is is a is an approach or a method or, or a line of thought that that best fits the situation. And and yep, sometimes that could be a um, a loss in a sporting game, or it might be that you didn't quite get the the tender that you were going for with a critical customer. So 
Um, so that's probably where I go, Barnaby, more a, a consideration of situation versus actually trying to emulate anyone I've, I've observed. Very well said. Now, I want to ask you about the Pennant Hills Demons' two premierships in three years, but before, <laughs> before I do, though, given the deep love and respect both of our football clubs have, who did you beat in those two years? Uh, it was it was the East Coast Eagles, um, Barnas, which I, I think you know very well. Um, 2006, they were the um, the undefeated side going into the grand final. They were the absolute benchmark. Um, whereas in 2008, they'd actually stormed into the grand final, having finished fourth or fifth, I think, and and won three consecutive finals to to make it. But um, but yeah, look, I suppose at the end of those two games, we, we were on the right side of the ledger by the time the, the final siren went. That felt so sweet hearing you say that. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the Demons' journey over those three years. How confident were you you guys would win the premiership in that second year when you went in favourites? Oh, look, I think the, the short answer is I, I, I actually wasn't confident um barnaby i mean the the first the, the year that we won the flag in in 2006 i was i actually w- hoped that we would simply win one final um the club had come off a couple of years where unfortunately they'd had um consecutive seasons of of losing finals not even winning a final whether it's a, a knockout final a semi-final elimination whatever it was so i was of the mindset that if we could at least win one final, then we've, we've actually realized something more than what we had before. Um, as far as year two came along, uh, again, I, I don't think I was overly confident. If anything, I, I probably was too emotionally invested in wanting to try and emulate the year before. And I think as a direct result of that, um, I put probably too much pressure on myself and I don't believe I actually coached very well at all, particularly in the finals uh, campaign that saw us go out in straight sets. But I suppose year three, the 2008 um, year of redemption, if you want to call it, I just simply wanted to make amends. Um, I didn't know if we could. I'd hoped that we would um, by just doing some things differently and and seeing if we could actually learn from from the experience that was the year before. And as, as fate would have it, that seems to be what we managed to do. It's very modest of you to say fate would have it. How did you practically galvanise the team after that disappointment of year two to win the premiership the following year? What practical steps did you take? Oh, look, I think the immediate thing was we, we just admitted that we got it wrong. And, and I suppose from, from, from my own sort of internalisation of the whole situation, as I said before, I, I just realised that that I just became too emotionally invested in in trying to realise the same result and lost the ability to to really look at the situation objectively, um, literally try and read the play and and make the adjustments that maybe I could have made at that time to 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 um, culminate in a different result. So so that was probably the first thing. The other thing I did was that I actually got help. Um, I mean, my first two years of coaching, I pretty much did it on my own. I didn't have an assistant or a, or, or a number of assistants like you see in the, the modern day now, but I, I rectified that pretty quickly and and acquired the the support of a, a bit of a club stalwart in, in Christopher Yard to, to be my assistant. And he's um, did a great job and has obviously since been the, the Premier Division coach and a successful Premiership coach himself um, in the years since. So, so that was a good move. And I think the other thing 
I did was sort of, you know, realize what our opportunity was, but also took a bit more of a, a vested interest in what the opposition might do. Um, you know, the importance of maybe anticipating things go wrong. And if they do, what's going to be your contingency? So um, I think we started to, to look at it a little bit more broadly than maybe what we did in, in 2007 and, and obviously got caught out um, not, not actually doing that. So they'd probably be the three things. A lot of people see sporting success, dynasties and successful clubs as something like rocket science and some voodoo magic power fueling it all. Was winning two premierships in three years rocket science or was it simply a matter of having that help around you, the good people who just made good decisions? Yeah, look, it certainly wasn't rocket science, I don't think, um, Barnaby. I mean, look, it started with what... I was lucky enough to inherit. I mean, you know, Danny Ryan very well. He'd been the, the coach before me and, and he'd put the club in an incredibly strong position. You know, no surprise that he's gone on to, to coach at the elite level and be that at sort of AFL ranks or VFL ranks. Um, and he'd, he'd got the club really, really close. So, you know, ideally it was only going to be maybe a, a slightly different voice, a, a few tweaks here and there that, that could help the club get to that ultimate peg, so to speak. So I, I don't think he's contribution can be understated. But then to your point about good people, I mean, a lot of these names probably won't mean much maybe to, to your, your broader audience, but, you know, straight off the bat, Lane Spencer, Greg Barnes, Harry Ellison, Chris Yard, I mentioned, Daniel Kennedy, Blair Hathley, um, Pete Campbell, Pete Jack, um, a chicken, or Ian Parker, as he's known, uh, all, even Ross Howarth, dare I say it, Barnaby, these people were all integral. Um, and then there was all the significant people of those significant people that that ultimately contributed to the greater good. Um, but look, I, I think ultimately we we didn't do anything cutting edge. We just tried to keep it really simple. I mean, at the end of the day, across the total playing list, you, you're going to have to accommodate an array of different personalities, different abilities, different intensities. Um, so it was really important to adopt an approach that that really everyone firstly could understand. Um, but then also have the, the capability to, to, to execute. So um, I think that along with making sure that, you know, we had some fun along the way, I think that's a really important factor, whether it's sport, whether it's work. Um, I mean, life is pretty serious uh, enough without, without making it more serious. So, so that was, I think, a, a, pretty, a pretty important ingredient to, to the success of it as well. Now, I could quite easily sit and talk about Pennant Hills beating East Coast Eagles in grand finals all day, but we should move on and talk about business. We should. Let me talk to you about Burring Ingleheim. Are there any times at work when you have to catch yourself when you give you the same advice you give to young people at football as you are at work? Um, I mean, look, it happens all the time, but I, I'd have to say that I, I don't probably catch myself and, and think that I shouldn't do that. I think it comes back to your original question um, about whether there's differences or not in 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 the two areas, and and the end, uh, the the essence of that is I don't think there are. I mean, your 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 tone, your your verbal or non-verbal language might might change, but you know the underlying principle of what you're trying to do or what you're trying to realise, drive, deliver, it, it sort of doesn't change. I mean, it it just genuinely. Um, in my view, works both ways, whether it be translating what you've learned in the workplace to your sporting environment or, verse vi- or vice versa. It's, it's really quite transferable. I mean, I, if I think about coaching football, I mean, I was lucky enough that I'd received a lot of coaching 
um, development through my workplace. And, and I translated a lot of that into the footy club, to be honest. And, and yeah, I've obviously done it in the other way as well. Motivating people in business, in, sorry, in sport is very predictable. It's the big rev up chats before the game. I'm assuming you don't have rev up chats for your business teams before work every day. How do you motivate your staff if they get a bad result? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I, I, you, you do give the rev up chats, but um, they're probably just far more measured. You know, they're more, they're more considered. There's, there's more professional context to it. Um, and you know, it, it's obviously not the environment of the of the of the footy sheds, but you're still trying to ultimately do the same thing. You know, you're trying to guide, you're trying to inspire, or you're help helping to try and drive or generate an outcome, be it a project or or a business result. Um, but look, I, where I'm a, a huge adage, and it probably goes back to your um, sorry, a huge advocate goes back to your introduction is that you know if you get the bad result, where there's huge motivation in that because you just learn so much from it. Um, and fortunately I've, I've experienced a hell of a lot of bad results. Um, and what it does is it gives you an incredible point of reference or, or scope for reflection for the next time. Um, and in many respects, realizing the good result on the back of a bad result is, is arguably far more satisfying than just realizing the good result straight off the bat. But, but look, it does come back to what I said before, ultimately, um, you know, if the bad result is there, how do you keep them motivated? Well, you just keep going back to why they're there in the first place. What's the reason or what's their motivating factor for being in the role or in the group? Um, and, you know, what can you do to actually make sure that those those reasons or factors are being realised? Um, I mean, even, even the person that says, oh, look, I'm only here because I need the money. Well, you know, in that scenario, you, you just simply try and help that person do the best job that they can so that that need um, isn't compromised or, or lost. So, um, so I, I think it's really understanding the drivers that's that's probably the critical component to to helping people be motivated to get a different result next time. You're a very wise man. You could be the <laughs> pinup boy for authentic leadership. Is being an authentic an image you have created? Do you devote any mental energy to staying authentic, or is that just how you roll? Yeah, look, it's an interesting question, um, Barnes. I, I sort of thought about it from the point of, I think if you're trying to create an image of authenticity or if you're devoting too much mental energy to it, I, I don't know if you actually can say that you're truly authentic. Um, so I think that the simple answer is, um, look, I, I, I don't sort of work on it as such, but what I do know or what I do know I try and bring is I do try and bring um, – an element of realism. I, I do think I bring a, a genuine capability to, to listen. Um, you know, a reasonable level of EQ or, or an ability to read the players I mentioned earlier. Um, I mean, what has been suggested to me is that I do have a capability of, of sort of considering all the information that's in front of me and, and assessing gaps and opportunities within those, but also then being able to explain it pretty clearly or pretty articulately that people get it and they can they can buy into it. I've mentioned humour. I think a sense of humour or an ability to, to see the lighter side of things is what I try and bring. Um, but I also have a, a genuine desire to just see people do well in their work, in their life. And, and if I can help them, you know, realise the, the things that they're wanting to realise, well, I, I find that incredibly um, gratifying. Uh, I think importantly, I've, I've got enough confidence to ask for help. 
or, or admit that I don't actually have the answer. Um, and I've once been described as having a really healthy level of, of self-doubt, which um, means that I, I, I rarely get too far ahead of myself. And, and if I do, I think I do have a reasonable ability to, to tell myself to pull my own head in and, and um, you know, drop down a couple of pegs. So I think that's really important to be able to, to, to know when, when, when maybe that's the, the path you're on. A healthy level of self-doubt sounds like a very interesting quality. <laughs> how, how does Bowringer Ingelheim more broadly develop leadership across their whole organisation? Yeah, look, I, I mean, it's at the end of the day, um, Barnaby BI, it's a, it's a, it's a multinational and, and it's, it's heavily invested in its people. It does a hell of a lot to, to help um, establish leaders and, and, and enable them to, to grow uh, multiple programs, varying sort of curriculum that they have, emerging leadership programs they run, um, managers coaching programs, of course. I mean, I was lucky to to attend a, a program known as BI Connectivity, which is which is basically global leaders um, of businesses for BI around the world coming together to 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 work with each other and and to to talk about whether or not we in our capacity in our individual operations at a country level are, are really living the company mission and vision. I mean, this was pre-COVID times. It was 2019, but the chance to go to, to Frankfurt and Duke University in the US to, to um, attend to two single-week programs to, to work through through those um, discussion points was was amazing and, a, and an incredible opportunity to get that uh, sort of level of exposure and insight to, to, to different people, be they colleagues from within the business or or actually, um, lecturers from from Duke University. It, it was amazing. But I mean, I think the other thing we we do have is a genuine feedback culture. Um, you know, we we're really encouraged to to seek out feedback all the time, um, so that we can take that on board and and grow and adapt. I mean, three sixty degree feedback tools are are critical in that. And I would strongly advocate any manager to 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 exercise those opportunities around 360 whenever they can. But, but yeah, there, there are a few other things that, that BI ultimately do. That sounds tremendous. Are there any leadership tricks you've picked up from football or business that translate to the real world? Or do you need to be a different person in your real life than what you are in business? Um, look, I think, I think our own work version of ourselves is it's always going to be a little bit different to maybe the non-working version of ourselves but i personally don't believe the gap needs to be too great i mean the bottom line is we are who we are and and um if you're having to work really hard at being someone that you're not then it, it probably isn't sustainable and it's probably not going to work uh, if anything you'll, you'll probably get found out um that that's that that's the case I mean, at the end of the day, I'm incredibly fortunate that that I work for an organisation who who genuinely values me for who I am, um, and I think I can safely say that after 25 years with BI, albeit in many different roles. Um, but as a result of that, I, I'm really able to be myself as much as is reasonably possible within within my working environment. You know, the business. They take the good with the bad, and they support me either way because I've, I've, as I said earlier, I've made lots of mistakes in my career. But, but um, I'd like to think that my successes have outnumbered those mistakes. But, but it is a really cool place to work, and I've been, you know, very um, fortunate to, to to be there. I think, I think the funny thing is that I actually started my working life as a 
grade one primary school teacher where I was the biggest kid in the class. Um, I think 25 years on, it's nothing's probably changed. I think I'm a bit the same within the workplace. But uh, but yeah, look, I, I I don't think there needs to be too much of a difference, Barnaby, between you know who you are in your real life and who you are in your business life. Well, that segues very well. Let me ask you about Michael Cousins, the real human being. What do you define as success these days as a father of three boys? Um, well, given my lads are sort of late teens or early 20s, I think success is, you know, they're law-abiding and maybe they pay their own way. But um, but more seriously, I think, I think ultimately success is that they're healthy, they're safe, they're happy, um, and they're fulfilled in the lives that they're living and, and perhaps the future that they're pursuing. I mean, I, I don't imagine that that matters whether you're a father of boys or, or girls or both or a mother of boys or girls or both. I mean, in, in the case of my three, I, I think success is that, you know, hopefully they're, they're just good blokes. I, think, I hope they're good, just good fellas. Is that what you would say you want them to be defined by if they're successful people? Just good people, or do you want something higher, well-paid, best, most important positions, sports coaches? No, no look, I, I, I really think it is that they're because because ultimately, Barnaby, I think if if they are good people, then then those things will will genuinely come. And look, I would you know with all biases, <laughs> um, obviously, I I really think they are great great fellas. I mean, they're. They're hilarious. They're hilarious. They're fun to be around. They have tremendous senses of humour. But I think importantly, they're they're incredibly loyal. They're incredibly accountable. More often than not, um, they're respectful to everyone around themselves, including their their mum and dad, their extended families, their friends. Um, it's a it's a real credit to them. And and look, it hasn't always been easy for them. Um, you know, they, they they have had their own sufferings of their own creation or or things that, you know, they really didn't have much say in, namely a, um, a, a marital breakdown between their mum and I, but, but they've handled it incredibly well. Um, and, you know, at this particular point in time, ironically, like right now, I, I just couldn't be more, more proud of them. I, I, I sort of love them to bits and just can't wait to see what life continues to offer them. But, but I, I think they're heading in a, in a, in a terrific direction. Very lucky boys. So Michael, you are a successful bloke. You won premierships as a sports coach and you're, you are a respected business leader. Do you think it's enough these days just to try and be a good person, work as hard as you can and respect the people around you? Focus on the game plan, have faith the result will take care of itself, if you will. Or do you need to be ruthless, aggressive and have some mystical X factor to get ahead? I think the short answer, Barnaby, is, is ruthless and aggressive. No, you, you don't have to be that. Um, be a good person, work hard and be respectful, respectful. Absolutely. I think the thing you do have to do is, is that you particularly in, in leadership, you've got to be kind to, you, to yourself because leading people and teams, it, it actually is really hard. You're, you're not always going to get it right. Things are going to go wrong. Um, mistakes will be made, but, um, more often than not, it's on the back of these sorts of things where the wins really come. Um, I think to your point about focusing on the game plan, that, that that's really important, but what I've also come to learn is that it's really important to have a backup plan um, or an ability to evolve or adapt as things change because things will change. Um, you know, whether it's your number one centre forward going down with an ACL 20 minutes into a semi-final, um, or if it's the job that you really wanted, you just didn't get, it went to someone else. You're going to have to 
think about that. You're going to have to change. You're going to have to try a different method, adopt a different, a different approach. Um, and as long as you're willing to accept um, that that's going to happen and, and be prepared to, to implement the changes, well, then you might still realise the, 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 the ultimate outcome that you're looking for anyway. Um, but, yeah, look, I, 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 think, I think you actually really just have to have, and, and maybe this is the mystical X factor, but it's not that mystical, is that you ultimately just have to have a real natural desire to want to help others realise their goals and ambitions. And if you, if you have that within you, I think ultimately you can be a really successful leader. Well, Michael Cousins and to Susan Catania as well, a lot of people think that to be a successful business leader, it's all scientific and they've got to read this book and watch this TEDx talk, but you guys have just put it in such real layman's terms and just real human beings getting ahead in life. So, Michael, thank you for your time. Thanks, partners. Thank you to Michael and Susan for joining me on Everyday Greatness today. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to the ARA Group for being our major sponsor for the fourth year in a row. Thanks to Facet Digital for sponsoring this episode. Thanks to Look Studio Australia for recording this podcast. And I hope that when you put your devices down in a little while, you lift your head up, push your shoulders back, and walk down the street proud of being an everyday Joe Bag of Donuts. I hope you can join us for our next episode where I'll be speaking to the founder of the Stay Kind Foundation, Ralph Kelly. I'll be speaking to Ralph about how he makes the world kinder after seeing the worst of it. If you'd like to find out more about that episode, today's episode, or everyday greatness in general, go to our website, everydaygreatness.com.au, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or LinkedIn. Thank you again for joining me.